Let me tell you something. You are already good enough. You don't have to prove it to a Widowmaker client. Welcome to the Passionate Painter Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Italia Carlson. Whether your art is a full-time career or your side gig, if you are passionate about creating art, this podcast is for you. Don't worry about taking notes. I'll do that for you. And you can find them at PassionatePainterPodcast.com. Welcome back. If you're listening to this on or about its release date at Christmas 2022, I wish you happy holidays and a very happy and creative new year. As we wrap up this year and look forward to our plans for 2023, it's the perfect time to reflect on our accomplishments over the past year. What went well for you? What didn't? Did you meet your creative goals? Did you set creative goals? If you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that I'm much more comfortable sitting back and shining a light on my guests. But today it's important that we talk about what you're struggling with when it comes to showing up to make your art. This episode is for anyone struggling with feeling less than in any way as an artist. I'm going to talk about some common roadblocks many of us encounter as artists and ways to overcome them. I'm talking about procrastination, overwhelm, and the F word. Yep, I'm talking about fear. When we aren't creating our art, it's usually due to lack of time, overwhelm, procrastination, or lack of confidence in some form. If you're struggling with any of these, you probably know it. To gain traction to overcome your obstacle, it helps to ask questions. Let's start with time. Ask yourself, am I really at a loss for time? Are you really at a loss for time? And it may be that you're in a season of your life that requires some of your creative pursuits to be put aside for a while. If you have a newborn at home, for instance, it's not realistic to try and go in a direction that conflicts with your ability to care for your family. We go through seasons in life, and it's important to acknowledge them so we don't miss out on the good stuff. I took a few years off of oil painting when my babies were born, and I don't regret it for a minute. I was there for those moments that I can't get back. If you're going through a season that takes you away from your art, you'll know it. Give yourself the grace you need to take care of yourself and be fully present. Chances are that time will inform your art. I just finished a painting of my boys at the beach from those days back when they were toddlers. They're now 16 and 19, and the painting is more meaningful to me than ever. Whatever you're going through that requires your attention for a season in your life, take your time and take care of yourself. Now, if your answer to the question about whether you've got time tells you that you've got wiggle room, then take a look at where you can carve out more time by making some decisions. Some things you currently spend time on that are good may need to go to make room for the best use of your time that allows you time to create. Most of us deal with this, especially if we're in a position of having to work part or full time. If lack of time is your challenge, I'm going to suggest you begin with a judgment-free assessment about it. Take an objective look at your schedule 
and determine where you might have room to carve out a block of time on a regular basis. It may be early in the morning, before your family wakes up, or late at night. It may be in the middle of the day when your kids are at school, or on the weekends when you've got someone to help with responsibilities. It may be that two hours in the evening you're currently filling with streaming entertainment. The third season of The Witcher doesn't come out until summer 2023. Now's your chance. You may need to turn down some social opportunities. If you've got a lot of them, chances are, at least some of the time, your mind is already on all that art you're not creating while you're away from your studio. Now, when you do make plans to pursue your art goals, let's talk about being mindful of when you're most likely to follow through on those plans. It's easy to promise yourself you'll stick to your diet tomorrow when you're full and happy after binging on birthday cake. I'm not saying don't make big goals, but figure out how to carve out time to make your art when it will serve you. Be honest with yourself. Are you someone who is likely to get up at 4 a.m. on a weekday to make your art before you get your kids off to school and yourself off to work? If you know that's just not you, then you're setting yourself up for failure when in fact your goal didn't fit how you do life. Yes, you're going to have to be disciplined to some degree to develop your art skills while keeping up with your other obligations. But you stand the best chance of succeeding when you turn your goal into your haven, when you set up a time to work on it, when you will be in tune with your physical energy and your mental focus. Do you feel more focused early in the morning, in the afternoon, or are you more of a night owl than an early bird? If you work part or full time, don't give up on making your art unless it's just not possible without threatening your well-being. Find a time when your life energy is optimal and see if you can work with it. Consistent progress matters more than huge leaps that you can't sustain. This is part of adopting a growth mindset, believing that you can improve and that given consistent practice, improvement is inevitable. Steady progress, while acknowledging your achievements, will help you get much further than inconsistent fits and starts. If the mundane stuff is getting in your way, you might try running all the things that keep you out of the studio through the grid. You might be familiar with this. I'm talking about a grid of four squares, in which the top left is urgent, important. Beside it is not urgent, important. Bottom left is urgent, unimportant. And beside that, on the bottom right, is not urgent, unimportant. I've included a downloadable of this grid in the show notes. And we'll get to an example of how to use it in a few minutes. Now, if you find you do have wiggle room in your schedule, your next challenge is going to be setting and holding your boundaries. Now, the topic of boundaries is a vast one that I would rather bring in an expert to delve into than give you advice on. But I will say, when we have trouble standing up for ourselves to protect the time that we need to create, we've probably got people around us who are boundary disrespecters. It may be that we haven't properly trained them to respect our needs, or that we've grown up with boundary disrespecters and never built our boundary muscle as a result. 
You may be so used to someone trampling on your time that you don't even realize you get to decide what to do with it. Remember that every yes you agree to is a no to something else. This is especially true for those of you out there who work part or full-time at something other than your art. One of the necessary elements to making and holding space for your art, without judgment, is to be mindful of your values. If you're trying to succeed at everything and look brilliant on every front, you may be exhausting yourself without much traction where it matters to you most. Knowing your non-negotiable values will provide you with a compass from which to base all of your time-spent decisions. So what are values, really? Simply put, they are the qualities and elements that matter most to you in life. You can find a link of values that author and shame researcher Brene Brown includes in her book, Dare to Lead, in the show notes. It's a great jumping-off point in determining what matters most to you. Brene suggests that we identify our core two values in order to walk the talk instead of just declaring our values. She advises to start by choosing up to 15 from the list or writing down your own and then work to narrow them down until you have the two that stand above all the others. Choosing two core values doesn't mean you've got to throw the others out. It does, however, give you a compass to navigate with when you've got to make tough decisions. It helps you align your actions, intentions, the words you choose, and even your thoughts with your core values. Being aware of your core values can help you define and hold your boundaries and help you identify what drains your creativity. Anything that is contrary to those values is going to make you feel contracted and crush your creative spark. For example, financial instability saps my creativity. So how do I work on my art career? I have a day job in marketing and design, and I make my art and my podcast around it. Now, if I'm serious about progressing with my art skills, which I am, this requires dedication to using my free time wisely, which requires near-ruthless boundary management. Since my other core value is connection, getting enough studio time in between work obligations and family time is a tight squeeze. And that's okay. It's not always perfect. But identifying your core values isn't meant to add to your stress. It's meant to light the way. The path to becoming known as an artist is different for everyone. And I truly believe the goal is the journey, not the destination. If you're having trouble finding and holding space to create your art, I urge you to take a serious look at whether there are any boundaries you can set and hold that will give you more of the time and space you need. If you have trouble in this particular area, I wholeheartedly support you pursuing the help of a counselor to assist in your progress. There's absolutely no shame in reaching for help in achieving your goals and your dreams. Having the courage to do so can be a game changer. Before we move on to discuss the next type of roadblock, I want to discuss a straightforward solution to helping you save yourself time. I'm talking about being organized. Call it fixing boundaries with yourself, if you will. 
When my studio and or my home and life are disorganized, I waste a lot of time. Think about how much time you waste looking for things in total each day. Always misplacing your keys, glasses, or phone? If you add up the wasted time each day, you may be surprised to find you're wasting an hour or more a week. When you have to stop and routinely look for your stuff, you're probably disorganized. And you may be perpetually late and stressed out because you're always scrambling. This is especially true if you're often rummaging through your house looking for important information you need, or you miss appointments because you aren't using a system for keeping track of the important stuff. This kind of chaos causes a tremendous amount of stress, which kills creativity in addition to wasting time. So ask yourself another question. Do you have any systems in place to manage the inevitable chaos of life and prevent stress? Ask yourself, are there any time drains in my life that I can improve with a system? One of the simplest and most common ways disorganization shows up is lack of preparedness. Whether you're wasting time looking for stuff or you're running out of supplies when you've got a deadline looming and you've got to run out to the store before you can finish an important piece for a show, you're probably missing a system. To prevent lost time searching for things, I recommend designating a spot for the things you tend to use regularly. Clip those car keys to your bag or put them on a hook by the door. I know that sounds simple, but having a spot for your things, like reading glasses, if that's something you run around the house looking for, is going to save you time. I use reading glasses myself, and having just one pair didn't work for me, because it required perpetually moving them around and therefore never being sure where I left them last. Since they're relatively inexpensive, having multiple pairs saves me time. I keep a pair by the bed in the box I keep my Kindle in. I keep a pair on the dining room table in another box. There's a pair in my studio that always gets returned to a spot next to my easel. And there's a pair at work that stays at work. Figure out what works best for you. If you only have one of something, for example, your phone, and you use it all the time, so it's going to get moved around, you might set a home for it in each room. Let's take your phone for example. Pick a spot in each room that's always the same that you can place the phone when it's not in use or in your pocket. That way, if you happen to look up and wonder where your phone went, you can check that spot in every room. Naturally, this will only help if you're mindful about using your one spot in each room. You'll have to pay attention to when you take off those reading glasses or put that phone down. Make an effort to not just set them down wherever you are. Many of us go through life unconscious of these small actions, and the result is often that we aren't aware that we even took off the glasses or put the phone down, and we have no idea where to begin looking. Nothing is perfect. Assume you're going to misplace stuff. But having a system for keeping track of things that you rely on is going to help you save time, and it will add up. Another way to stay on track in optimizing your time is to maintain inventory. I know it sounds boring, but many of us already do this in the kitchen. Running low on milk? Write milk on the grocery list. Or type it into your phone app. Whatever works for you. Running low on clay or paint in your studio? 
or gloves, paper towels, you get the idea. Note it down and make sure you replenish your supplies before you're standing in your studio with a block of time, only to find you have to run out to the store. I know it sounds simple, but it's going to require you to pay attention to your supplies. And taking that minute to write down as soon as you notice that you're low on something is going to save you time in the long run. One of the ways I save time in my studio is to keep a few frames ready for the sizes of paintings that I make. If you're framing your own work, as I do, make sure you've got plenty of hardware for the process, too, and lots of wire. Then if you're rushing to get a painting dropped off for a show or shipped to a client, you've got the framing supplies to get the work up and out. Likewise, I pre-gesso boards or stretched canvases in those same frame sizes. And I keep track of the condition of my brushes and when I run low on tubes of paint. If you're like me and you like to grab supplies at Hobby Lobby, you know they're not open on Sundays. So you don't want to be caught low on something that you can't easily replace. And certain paint colors, products, and brands have to be ordered online. So keep track of your supplies to save yourself time and sanity. Even running low on a mundane supply can screw up your time. If I run low on wax paper, I can't scrape my glass palette clean without tossing the unused paint. And because I don't like to toss unused paint, running out of wax paper will mean I'm going to leave the paint on the glass and it might dry there. And then I'll need to waste 20 minutes scraping and cleaning up my palette before I can get started on the next painting session. It all adds up. So do what you can to optimize your time. Okay, let's talk about the roadblock of overwhelm. This one is fascinating because while it sounds on the surface like a time problem, as in, I'm so overwhelmed, I just don't have any time to make my art, that's not always the case. So ask yourself, in what way am I overwhelmed? In some cases, we're not blocked by not having any ideas, but by having too many ideas or options. When you suffer from locking up when it comes to making your art, ask yourself if you're trying to write and edit at the same time. Now we're talking about visual art on this podcast, but the analogy holds. Have you ever tried to edit as you write? It makes most of us lock up. This is because writing is a creative right brain activity and editing is a logical left brain activity. Those of you who tell me your roadblock is... I don't know what to make. Whether you're a sculptor, a painter, photographer, you draw, you name it. You may be suffering from too many unsorted ideas. Getting all those ideas out and on paper, or voice recorded, whatever works for you, is important in allowing you to sort and examine the ideas that you have. It will also show you that you do in fact have lots of ideas, and that having ideas is not your problem. When you get used to noting all the ideas that you have, you'll store up a collection that you can draw on. The more you have, the more likely it is you'll start to see categories of ideas, which you might turn into a body of work. Monet's haystacks, anyone? There are numerous benefits to recording your ideas in some form right away, rather than telling yourself, oh, that's a great idea, I'll have to remember that for later. You're going to need discipline to stop and record your ideas as they come to you. 
Don't make the mistake of assuming you're going to remember your awesome flash of inspiration because it's so amazing and obvious to you in that shining moment. Anyone who's ever tried to remember a dream 10 minutes after waking up knows what I'm talking about. By the way, if your creative inspiration often comes from the dreams you remember, be encouraged that the more often you write down your dreams, the more you'll wake up remembering dreams to write down. But you'll still have to write them down or record them somehow. Jot down your idea right away, no matter how you do it. Just make sure you do so in a way you won't lose track of. This goes back to being organized. It's not going to help you to have a bunch of random notes all over the place and no system. Again, the recording of ideas is a separate process from what you do with them. This is vital to remember, so you can stop pressuring your right brain to spew brilliance when you step into your studio. Don't put that pressure on yourself to be brilliant on demand. Let go and trust that the ideas will come, as they always do. When you realize ideas are going to come to you, wherever and whenever they please, you can relax and let them flow. Just be sure to stop and record them when they arrive. One of the roadblocks we as artists often put before ourselves, without being aware of it, is the assumption that our ideas must go into a sketchbook. Sometimes we think the sketchbook has to be a perfect portfolio of brilliant ideas that you can show to anyone who happens to ask, what are you drawing? Now, I support the carrying of a sketchbook. Those of you out there listening who are my students know that. But carry the sketchbook to serve your goals. And this may require you to start by thinking of recording your ideas separately from making your sketches. You may want to begin with just a notepad or sticky notes or voice memos on your phone or some combination. I like to use Evernote in addition to my sketchbooks and a notebook. My ideas often start out as scribbled notes on a napkin or the back of envelopes, which go into a box. Then I spend a little time typing them into Evernote, which allows me to sort them into notebooks for categorization. The sketchbook thing, for me, is what I do to relax when I'm hanging out in front of the television or at a family gathering. It's perfectly acceptable to sit on the couch with your family and sketch while you chat. You can tell them I said so. And if you like to draw faces, you may find your relatives lining up for portrait sketches or even caricatures, if that's your thing. Again, the point is to make the sketching enjoyable. And in turn, it will help you to advance your skills. You may have heard me say on the show that one of the ways I make sketchbooks less intimidating is to mess up the pages ahead of time. I like to paste in words or interesting paper or textures and materials to draw on top of. So I end up with a layered effect in many cases, and that's great. Whatever gets you to use the book and not be afraid to use the book because you're staring at pristine white pages that stare back at you demanding perfection. Progress is better than perfection any day of the week. And consistent progress is key. So whatever works to get you using any kind of sketchbook, whether it's loose pages or a bound book, whatever works. Just find something you enjoy using. But getting back to preventing overwhelm. The more you practice recording your flashes of inspiration, the more you'll notice when these flashes hit. And like recording dreams, the more often you record your waking ideas, the more they're likely to come to you. Mine sometimes come in a rush of many ideas at once. 
When this happens, again, I don't attempt to follow any one idea. I just record it all down as quickly as I can. I personally like to go old school and keep a marble notebook and a pen in a few rooms in my house. Just like reading glasses. I keep one by the bed and one in the living room. I also tend to carry one in my bag for ideas that strike me on the way to work or while I'm at my desk at work. Wherever you frequently find yourself inspired, try to create a system that allows you to record the ideas that come to you right away. And your phone is probably always close at hand, so you can use that if you prefer, whether you type out a note to yourself or you voice record. I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night with many ideas. It's as if being in the semi-conscious sleep state opened up my creativity. In those cases, I don't turn on the light, because for me, that would make the ideas scatter. I found that using my phone's screen light, not the flashlight, just the screen's light when the phone is awake, prevents me from writing over my own words as I jot down ideas without trying to read what I've written. It's almost like automatic writing. It keeps me focused on the ideas without editing my spelling or reading what I've written as I write. Stay with the idea, however you've got to chase it down. For me, it also helps to think of ideas as coming from somewhere outside of me. This allows me to let the ideas arrive more easily, probably because thinking I'm generating the ideas again puts pressure on me to come up with something brilliant. I'm not trying to get all woo-woo on you here, but I have definitely discovered that thinking of ideas as gifts coming in from a benevolent outside source helps me allow them to flow. Have you ever lost your train of thought and suddenly become so worried about not recovering it that it became a self-fulfilling prophecy? Your ideas simply evaporated as you panicked inwardly trying to prove to the person standing before you that you're not an idiot. Writing down the ideas that are coming in while expecting you to generate the ideas at the same time can cause your creative energy to contract and lock up. When these idea barrages come in, I stop and begin writing. When there's a pause in the inspiration, I don't sit down my pen and walk away, or go back to sleep. I pause, keep my pen ready, and ask silently, is there more you want me to know? Like I'm taking dictation. Again, this is a tool that helps me stop trying to take control. It allows a flow of creativity. Often when I do this, I get another idea. I repeat this process until no more ideas flow in. If you try this, I'd love to hear from you as to how it worked. I'm convinced the more you practice this, the more often you'll feel the idea fairy, I'm using air quotes, land on your shoulder. As I mentioned earlier, the more frequently you record your ideas, the more likely it is you'll see a body of work forming. You don't have to have a body of work, but most artists with whom I speak ask how to come up with that elusive body of work in the beginning that thing that becomes tied to your style and your voice. I think it comes from the habit of recording all the ideas that you get throughout the day as they come in. I think a lot of us as artists miss out and lose ideas because we put off recording them. And I think the practice of recording them opens the floodwaters for more ideas to flow in. When you do record your ideas, it's important to do so without judgment or expectation. Just jot them down. You can sort them out later. 
So as we talk about ways to prevent overwhelm, we've covered the strategy of recording your ideas as they come in so you can sort them and hopefully encourage more ideas to come in so that you'll have something to draw on when you think you don't know what to create. Let's talk about another strategy that's going to help you to avoid overwhelm. This one is pretty mundane. This one is tied into the idea of being organized. I want to talk about maintaining a neat space to help you with your creativity. I find it almost impossible to create when my studio is a mess. If you're immune to this type of thing, you can ignore everything I'm about to say on this topic. But most of us find ourselves contracting in a cluttered environment. Now, you'll hear me throughout this podcast talk about the difference between contraction and expansion. Creativity requires the feeling of expansion and taking deep breaths and having room to move and room to flow. When we hold on too tightly, we're disorganized, we're stressed out, and we're overwhelmed. We feel a feeling of contraction instead. And when we're contracted, we're not going to feel that creative flow. In order to encourage expansion, you'll benefit most from maintaining a creative space that's as clutter-free as possible. I'm not talking about not having collections on the walls or shelves around you that you love and have meaning for you. I'm talking about not tripping over the piles of papers and books on your floor that probably should be sorted through, thrown out, or put somewhere else. I recently declared my studio table a clutter-free zone. My family had begun to use it as a catch-all for depositing anything they didn't know what to do with. It became the family paper pile, the de facto mom-will-sort-it-out space. And until I realized I was stifling my own studio time, I allowed it. Somewhere in my brain, I thought, well, it makes sense to use this surface to drop stuff unless I'm working on something at the time. But jamming up that space was constricting my creative energy. Doesn't matter if I've got a project going. The surfaces around my easel must remain clear. So I drew a boundary and I said, I don't care if there's space here. This is my creative space and this table remains clear. So does my floor. Some of my family members started piles when room on the table became scarce. Trust me, if you have to fight through physical obstacles to get through your studio and you don't have room to expand mentally and physically, you won't enter your studio. Or you'll do it and you'll likely be stressed and contracted and wonder why you can't create. This type of obstacle often comes about when we're trying to use a space for multiple purposes, like a studio table slash paper sorting area. It's a recipe for clutter. Even if you use one room for multiple purposes, as I do in my studio, where my recording studio also happens to live. Make sure that each area you use is designated for a specific purpose and is arranged to support that purpose. Once you do that, you can assess if the arrangement you've got is working. If it's not working, you can decide if it needs to be rearranged, if you need something, like a paper shredder, or if you simply got too much stuff. Dana K. White's A Slob Comes Clean podcast is a perfect place to learn more about decluttering for people who don't love cleaning and organizing. And it's especially relevant to creatives. Dana gets the creative mind. She's a creative too. 
you can find a link to her podcast in the show notes for this episode. Discovering her podcast has been extremely helpful in helping me to get and maintain control of my house. In addition to disciplining myself to scrape my palate after each session, so it's ready and the paint doesn't dry on it, just in case it's a few days before I can return, I keep my studio clothes in one spot. Those clothes I don't care about getting paint on. It's such a simple thing, but it helps. Now, I'm not talking about being perfect here. And as much as I love Marie Kondo, I'm not talking about maintaining a perfectly pristine environment. I'm talking about being organized in a way that allows you to have space around you and know where to find your stuff so that you save time and you can be creative. I like to say if you can find what you need in the dark, or when a kid comes to you and says, where's the fill in the blank, and you can tell them without having to get up and find it yourself, you're in good shape. Let's move on to the roadblock of procrastination. I believe people procrastinate for two reasons. They either don't want to do what they should or need to do, or they're afraid to fail at what they want to do, so they hold themselves back. You can't fail if you don't try, right? Well. The first step here in addressing procrastination is to determine the reasons you might be getting in your own way. When you identify what's behind your procrastination, you can work on fixing the problem. Now, I'm going to assume you're an artist because you want to be an artist, not because you're being forced to make art. Therefore, if you determine that you're procrastinating on making some art because you don't want to do it, it probably means you're trying to fit into a slot that isn't a good fit. I once accepted a freelance assignment drawing stock illustrations of people playing sports. The problem was, I had no interest in illustrating sports. At the time, I was all about painting portraits and animals and comic book illustration. No sports. And I put off getting the sports illustrations done. For a while, I tried to force myself to do it because I thought it would be a great portfolio builder. I felt like I should take the job because I had gotten out of school with an art degree, and this was an art job, but it felt like a burden. I was aware that I couldn't procrastinate forever. I had a client, and I had a deadline. To solve the problem, I gave the client to a colleague of mine, who was thrilled to take on the project. And despite my fear of giving up a prestigious assignment, I found I never looked back. If something is weighing you down that you're procrastinating on, Try visualizing how it would feel to hand it off to someone else. Don't think about the pros and cons. I'm not talking about intellectualizing here. I want you to step into the experience of letting it go. How do you feel? If your shoulders drop and you exhale, you're expanding. That's good. If, on the other hand, your shoulders, muscles, back clench up, or you find, for instance, you're holding your breath, You're contracting. That's the opposite of creative energy. Expansion, good. Contraction, bad. Creativity requires expansiveness. If you can't give away an obligation you've taken on that you're dreading, you'll probably have to bull your way through. But please remember how you feel when you accept an obligation that you really don't want. Because this memory will be very helpful in learning to turn down work. Even when the work is an art assignment, 
it's not always going to be a good fit for you. Even when you're starting out, just because you can accept a particular request doesn't mean you should, because every yes is a no to something else. It's a time commitment and an energy commitment. So when we put the brakes on our creativity before we begin, it may be due to burdening ourselves with expectations of finding work no matter what the assignment is, resulting in accepting ill-fitting assignments or work with the wrong people. It may not be the specific assignment, but the client. Please don't do yourself the disservice of thinking you've got to accept every commission because you need the experience, or the money, or the exposure. In fact, I believe it's better to take a side job or even a full-time job that is separate from your fine art goals if it allows you to have the freedom to choose the assignments or the projects that light your creative fire. As you build your art career, you build your reputation along with it. And when you accept work for the type of client that I'll call a widowmaker, a client that no one else has pleased or maybe no one else will work with, It's unrealistic to believe that you're going to be the one to tame them, that you will be the artist good enough to please them. It's not good for you, and it's not good for your reputation, especially if you get stressed out as a result, because your client is going to feel that, and that can affect your reputation. Let me tell you something. You are already good enough. You don't have to prove it to a Widowmaker client. I accepted work with a client years back because, again, it seemed like a good portfolio opportunity. And they were a nightmare. Limited budget and unlimited change requests. They had no boundaries and called me at all hours of the day or night. I think that by the time they were happy with the product, I was in the hole for about 100 bucks. But I was just glad to get it done. And I made a mental note never to work with them again. Funny enough, 15 years later, I was living halfway across the country when my boss got a call. It was the client looking for me. They'd tracked me down probably through LinkedIn and called the company I was working for. Thankfully, my employer had the foresight not to transfer the call before asking me. He told them he'd pass along the information. I thanked him and told him under no circumstances to give out my contact information because I really didn't want to have to change my phone number and my email. Let's face it, creating something new is scary. It makes us vulnerable. Unless we plan never to show what we've made to anyone, making art requires us to hold up our creation and say, look what I made, and wait to be judged. It's scary, because the goal is to be judged favorably. If the person we show is indifferent to our creation, it's almost as bad as a negative response. This can cause us to try to people-please and accept work in a no-win situation, which sets us up for failure, furthers our insecurities, and reinforces procrastination. Your career as an artist is almost certain to involve some form of evolution. Give yourself the grace to say no when an assignment or a client is not a good fit. There will be others, especially as you develop your skills and your confidence as a result because you're selective in the assignments that you accept. And if you're appropriately choosy, you'll be available when the right assignments come along. So when we talk about procrastination, if you're not procrastinating on an assignment that you're dreading, 
but are instead procrastinating on your own art, then I want you to ask yourself an important question. Am I letting expectations get in my way? Really sit with this a moment and let it sink in. Am I letting expectations get in my way? If the answer is yes, then ask yourself, whose expectations are they? Are they mine? Or are they old tapes from a less than supportive relationship? Be honest and objective in examining the expectations that are holding you back. If they are yours, then you're probably just dreading the straight-up fear of failure. Take a little time to register just what the expectations are. Note them down and see if you can turn them into growth-oriented goals. For instance, if you've got the expectation of excellence in your realm of art, what if we evolve that into the goal of continually improving? You can start by looking at how far you've come thus far. It's important to uncover critical expectations because when you're afraid a project won't come out perfectly, you're probably going to clench up and try to overly control the outcome. Creativity requires expansiveness. Things that make you feel contracted are going to shut down your creativity. Clinging to rigid expectations for an outcome creates contraction. So let's look at some ways to let go of expectation. Where do we look to find the source of expectation? A good place to start is determining if you've got a critical inner voice. This may have originated from the words of a misguided parent that play on repeat in your head, or in your own fear of not measuring up to those around you. If you have the expectation that whatever you create must come out museum-worthy, it's a good bet you'll procrastinate on stepping up to make and show your art. The same is true if you keep trying to become a painter of landscapes, for example, because your father or whoever said that that was what real artists did, or that's what would sell. But you really want to pursue portraits or photography or sculpture. No matter what anyone else has told you, if you're making art that is not aligned with your values and your soul, it's not going to flow. If you're struggling with production, check in with yourself and see who's taking up space in your head. So how do we go about letting go of expectations? One way to let go of expectations is to adopt the attitude of the Stoics. You may have heard the phrase, it is what it is. Now this might sound really redundant, but this is the remark of someone making an observation rather than responding to circumstances in a reactive way. The Stoics forego drama in favor of logic. If this sounds like the opposite of creative, it's not. When we can let go of expectations, we find freedom. It's an unclenching and therefore an expansion instead of contraction. This is where creativity comes from. And by now you know, expansion is necessary for creativity. The good news is, mindfulness and curiosity can slay the expectation monster. According to Wikipedia, mindfulness is the practice of purposely bringing one's attention to the present moment experience without evaluation, a skill one develops through meditation or other training. So instead of prejudging our performance, Let's get lost in it. Make your art for the sake of the process. When you crave the process of making your art, you'll find ways to show up. You'll also find ways to make time.
One of the ways to let go of expectation and become mindful is to adopt a practice of meditation. I'm not making a religious statement here. I'm talking about training your brain to relax and step into the role of objective observer instead of taking a reactive role. Develop your ability to bring yourself back to the present moment. Developing your ability to bring yourself back to the present moment can short-circuit fear in all its forms. It truly is a game-changer. You can find a gazillion resources on meditation online, from recordings of guided meditations, to printable instructions, to listings of live classes in your area, and even phone apps. Take a look around and see what resonates with you. In the process of letting go of expectation, it's necessary to learn how to jettison the guilt. There may be days when you are, in fact, truly overwhelmed with competing commitments, including that of making your art, to the point that you feel as though you're playing whack-a-mole. Your partner may run errands without you on a Saturday so that you can spend time in your studio, only to come home and find you just crossing the threshold of your studio as they arrive. And you are truly determined to get into your studio, right after doing the breakfast dishes. But then the kids needed lunch, and no one walked the dog, and the laundry was piled up, and everyone was out of socks. So you fought through all these obstacles, and now you're entering your studio exhausted, and your partner's taking off their coat and saying, you're only now getting started? For a frustrated artist, one careless remark can cause a backlash of guilt, frustration, and resentment. In this example, you've drawn a boundary. Your family has respected your request, and you were still unable to reach the goal you had for your day because of the pressure you put on yourself to be all things to all people. I don't have a magic wand to tell you how to make these moments go away entirely, but let's take a look at ways to minimize them. For one thing, as frustrating as it is, it may help to gently tell your loved one how discouraged you feel when they make comments like that. They'll probably tell you that they didn't mean it that way, They were just surprised or just trying to help. I love that one. This often comes from a well-meaning loved one who has no ambition outside of their day job, which is fine. They're undoubtedly an amazing person, but they don't have the perpetual tempest inside pulling them to create in spite of other obligations. They understand intellectually how advancing as an artist is a struggle but they have no actual experience of how tough it is to reach artistic goals while fulfilling day-to-day obligations. And once you get that time to create, how painful the process can be. Dealing with imposter syndrome and the compare and despair black hole of social media can be so painful that we as creatives sometimes procrastinate away that precious time we have to create. As you can tell, this kind of procrastination comes down to fear. Whether it's expectations causing fear of not measuring up, or the guilt thing that causes fear that we're not doing what we should be doing, that wherever you are, you should be somewhere else. Fear creates contraction. We aren't intentionally procrastinating when the art doesn't get made. When you build a fire, the process requires oxygen, and it involves expansion. So let's look at ways we can make some space for your creative spark. So let's go back to that grid I mentioned earlier that can help you to manage your time when your procrastination is in fact coming from a feeling of overwhelm. Okay, we've got four quadrants. 
Urgent important, not urgent important, urgent unimportant, and not urgent unimportant. Let's go through each of the items. Feed the kids. I'll call that urgent and important. Feeding the kids needs to get done. But you have options. We can talk about planning meals as much as you can within the realm of reality and cooking extra so that you can freeze leftovers. Again, not a flawless plan as kids are finicky, but it's an option. Telling them to heat up leftovers also encourages independence. You can also lean on the occasional convenience food. I don't know any teenagers that will turn down a toaster strudel, no matter what time of day it is. And in a real crisis, when you're in a time crunch, maybe you're preparing for a show, there's always DoorDash. Again, it's a luxury, but it's an option. So things aren't always black and white, and you don't always have to stop and make a four-course meal. Okay, the walk the dog chore. Definitely important and urgent to the dog. My teenager is on permanent dog walking duty. That is his job. I recommend delegating this one. And if you don't have a teenager that you can farm the job out to, you may consider hiring one. It would be a luxury, of course, but if you've got to get your work done and you're on a deadline, you might decide to swing it or set aside a budget for it. Laundry. Hopefully this one can remain in the important, not urgent quadrant even if you are out of socks. I try to make sure that at the very least, we don't all run out of socks at the same time. That way I can tell them, just go borrow a pair from someone else for now. And if you have a washer and dryer at home, you can make an effort to rotate loads in the evening while streaming your favorite shows. Forcing myself to habit stack like this has served us pretty well. As to putting away clean laundry, I recommend getting a sign. Mine hangs proudly in the laundry room. It reads, Washing clothes, 20 minutes. Drying clothes, 30 minutes. Putting away clothes, 7 to 10 business days. And I stand by it. I really do. As to all the stuff you write in the not urgent, unimportant quadrant, we don't need to go over it because I want you to take a marker and make a great big X over it. It's not happening. Leave it to the people without big dreams. If lack of time really is your obstacle, you've got a choice to make. Either make adjustments or determine now isn't a season of your life you can work on your goal of making your art. It's as simple and as complicated as that. We talked about adopting the practice of mindfulness. This will help you release expectation and self-judgment. It will help you become aware of the nagging inner critic judging your abilities before you even get started. And it can help you rewrite those critical thought patterns. Your inner critic may be ruthless and cruel and need to be retrained. It's also possible you have a well-meaning inner critic that's actually trying to protect you from failure and pain. And while the motivation in that isn't cruel, it can hold you back just the same. For this type of obstacle, Fear can be a barometer. It can signal an opportunity for growth. Let's make a quick stop on the subject of imposter syndrome. For those of you who haven't heard of this, it's something that often comes on just as you begin to gain some traction towards your goal, like a promotion or a big opportunity. Just when you start to get some success and recognition, wham, 
You're filled with the fear that you're a fraud at whatever it is you're trying to excel at, and everyone is going to find out. Nice, huh? Well, this one comes down to courage. You've got to be willing to take up space and declare who you are. Are you an artist? Yes, you are. And you're good enough. And guess what? If you step aside because you give in to your insecurities and you don't bring your gift to the world, there's another artist out there who will gladly fill your shoes. That artist may be more or less accomplished than you. Doesn't matter. They are willing to step up. Are you? My dad used to say something that at first I hated, but I came to remind myself of it as I got older any time imposter syndrome reared its ugly head. No matter what you want to do well, there will always be someone who's better at it than you. And you will always be better at it than others. Period. End of sentence. You can look at this and say, why try? Or you can look at it and find comfort. I choose to find it inspiring. Which brings us to the upside of envy and fear. Sometimes the thing we fear is what we need to do the most. We're not talking about jumping off a cliff without a parachute here. We're talking about stepping up to learn a new skill or put your ideas and creations out there. So how do you tell the difference? The key to discernment here is going back to your core values. Compare your values with your goal. Is the thing you're struggling with getting done aligned with your values? Will it grow you towards your goals? Let's say you're putting off signing up for a night class in art, or even getting your master's degree. After examining the issue, you realize you think your spouse will be against it, and you feel guilty about taking time away from your family. Your top two values happen to be family and excellence. You want to be an excellent parent, but you also want to be an excellent artist. But what if this isn't an A or B decision? What if taking that class doesn't make you a bad parent or partner? Because your spouse is willing to step up for some quality time, two nights a week, or however many nights, for the limited time it's going to take for you to achieve this goal. What if you can further your skills as an artist while accepting that you don't have to do everything on your own? You won't know until you have the conversation with your partner. They may encourage you to go for it. The key is to examine it with as little attachment as possible. No judgment, no expectation, just curiosity and possibility. Grab hold of the courage to ask those questions and have those conversations. This is just one example. You may not always be able to work out solutions to go do the big thing you're afraid to tackle. You may simply have a money obstacle. Just keep in mind that even then, it may not be a no, just a not yet. But when you can work it out, if you determine that something that scares you is going to grow you and align with your values, I recommend seeing if you can push yourself a little. You may find an alternate solution that will move you forward. If you're a single parent, maybe you can swap babysitting nights with a neighbor or friend and watch their child at your place so they can have an evening off here or there. And then they'll watch your child while you go do that class. As we wrap up this episode on not getting in your own way, I want to remind you to hold on loosely, as one of my favorite 80s bands says. Yes, 
it's good and necessary to know what you want and where you want to end up. You can even get specific with a vision board. Heck yeah. But try not to clench down too specifically on how you'll get there. Creativity requires expansion. You won't be able to expand if you clench down and try to over-control every step of your art career's evolution. So take a deep breath and allow opportunities to flow. Enjoy the dance. Join me next time for an interview with fine artist and former naval officer, Kristen Kronick. And don't forget to sign up for my mailing list at passionatepainterpodcast.com to receive coupon codes for the lowest prices available on all my self-paced online art courses. Check them out at passionatepainteracademy.com for instruction ranging from short spotlight courses to my premier portraiture masterclass. You'll find something for everyone at fantastic prices. Until next time, go make something.